TTI Success Insights Chief Business Officer and the founder of Ministry Insights, Rodney Cox, shares this in today's episode. I believe that there's a silent demand in the workforce today, and very few employers know what that silent demand is. And because they don't know what it is, they can't truly understand the reason why they can't retain the people they are hiring. We're going to talk about that silent demand and so much more in this informational and inspiring interview with Rodney. I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Susie Price. I'm with Priceless Professional Development, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. In this podcast, we cover everything related to helping you and the employees in the organization you work in support and activate greatness. We're all about Wake Up Eager here. We're all about increasing commitment and engagement, reducing drama. I'm a professional facilitator, and I started Priceless Professional Development, a training and development company, in 2004, and we're experts in an assessment science called Trimetrics, and we use that science to help leaders and consultants create this Wake Up Eager workforce that we like to talk about, and we cover a lot of that today. The Trimetrics tool is a tool that can be used throughout the life cycle of employees, so in hiring, you can focus on fit In onboarding, you can talk about releasing talent, which is something we talk about today, and helping people see their potential and helping managers know how to lead and develop employees. Speaking of development, it can pinpoint development areas for leadership development and increasing bench strength, succession planning. It can be used in conflict resolution. It can help teams work together more effectively. One of the things I'm excited about and I've been talking about more because I'm doing more of it is training and certifying others to become experts in the science of Trimetrics. So we have self-paced online resource tools to help people become certified professional disc analysts, certified professional motivators analysts, and a Trimetrics expert analyst. And so you can look at that information on my website at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash certification. And my goal is to continually provide thought leadership about waking up eager and everything related to that and, and, and about trimetrics so that people can understand it and use it to its full potential so you can help people in your organization reach their full potential. And we do that through our books, uh, my blog, and this podcast. And for all of the episodes for this podcast, you can go to wakeupeagerworkforce.com. That's where we have the directory and we have very comprehensive show notes. And so you can go there. Anything you hear today or on any episode, you can pretty much, I think we have it for most episodes. We have transcripts for everything. And then we have them time stamped, all the show notes. And we have the ability for you to go to parts and, and you know, Pick sections that you want to know more about or go to the transcript to kind of dive into it. Um, But go to wakeupeagerworkforce.com and you will see all of our episodes. This is our 64th episode. And so there's plenty to look at there in regard to helping you in your efforts around creating a Wake Up Eager Workforce. 
I'd love feedback if today's episode or other episode that you go review and look at, if it gives you great results or shows you something new, I'd love to hear it. I'd also like to hear it if you have a suggestion to make what I'm doing better. I thought about this the other day. I have a podcast that I listen to around intermittent fasting, which is something I'm into nowadays. And I really appreciate the two hosts. And they've started doing a couple of different things that I would love if they wanted feedback, I would love to say, hey, you know, I love what you're doing, but here's some suggestions that could make it better because of X, Y, Z. But they're not really asking for it. And I don't want to impose my feedback because they're not asking, but I am asking. So what I'd love to hear is something you love and like about what I'm doing, because that really helps me. Um, (laughs) I like to know that it's having some impact. Nothing makes my day more than knowing that someone got something. You know, my mission in life is to help people get to where they want to go. So if something said here helped you or inspired you, love to hear it. And then I also want to know about something that's not working that I might be doing. Maybe you have a suggestion about content or my approach. There's the only way I'll know to do better is to get feedback. I constantly try to self-assess and re-listen to the episodes and I'm constantly learning and so trying to become better. So reach out to me if any of that speaks to you, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie for any and all feedback. And there you'll see my phone number, you'll see my email address, and then a form you can use. And I promise that I will see it and that I will respond. And thank you so much in advance for any of that that you think about and are willing to share. So I said that today's episode is number 64. It's unmasking and retention. So we're going to talk about what unmasking is and um, how that relates to retention. And it, again, it is with TTI Success Insights Chief Business Officer Rodney Cox, who is also the founder of Ministry Insights. We have links to how to reach Rodney and to everything that we talk about. You can find the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash on masking, U-N-M-A-S-K-I-N-G, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash unmasking. That's where you're going to see all the show notes and everything we talk about today. So this episode came about as a client. She's a certification client that I actually just interviewed for episode number 63, Superstar Paradox with Karen Eldad. She sent me an article that she had seen and she said, what do you think about this? And the title of the article was the most popular personality test in the world is a joke. And there's a link to that article and the book that it's reviewing. Basically, it's reviewing a book called The Personality Brokers. And so that article and a link to the book is available if you go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash unmasked. Now, I have used the Myers-Briggs. The book is talking about the history of the Myers-Briggs assessment and reveals that there's a, uh, they call it a flawed and fraught history behind Myers-Briggs. And so this is not a negative about Myers-Briggs and my, I don't want to make it about saying something against Myers-Briggs. I have used it in the past. I don't use it now, but it is saying what the, some of the research says and what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about validity and reliability in assessments among many other things. But basically here's a little paragraph that I took out of the article that I want to share with you. And this is what Kieran was asking me about. 
And it says uh, studies by psychologists show that people who take the Myers-Briggs test uh, more than once, even just a few weeks apart, get classified as a different type more than 50% of the time. And that's by the author of the book, The Personality Brokers. And so she says the MBTI, Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, test retest validity is well below acceptable levels of statistical significance. And then in the article, what they say, that's about as psychologically credible as a BuzzFeed quiz. And they compare the MBTI to a quiz that you might take, Pottermore quiz, you know, when you get four houses and you at the Hogwarts, you know, what your four houses would be. So it's kind of a cynical article about the assessment. And again, this podcast is not about that so much, but it is what prompted this podcast. And so while it's controversial, you know, the, the parting point in the article is make sure if you're using a personality type assessment like the Myers-Briggs that has low validity, use it for some understanding because I have found it helpful to me to know some different things about myself, but don't use it to make decisions about your life because it's not accurate enough to do that. So take it for what it is. And quite frankly, when I read this article, it is why I have done podcasts about the weaponizing of DISC and why I use Trimetrics, which is a trimodal tool, because it gives you more views and it is reliable and valid. And so Myers-Briggs is just one snapshot and apparently some of their research struggles because it's not all that valid. So from that, let me just tell you what we're going to talk about today. And you're going to know more about reliability and validity. And I just thank Kieran for prompting me. She said, you know, you got to do an article or a podcast about this topic. So here we are. Thank you, Kieran. Um, so here's the four areas that we cover. Three things to look for when you're looking at assessments and five questions you should ask to ensure that an assessment is reliable and valid. And Rodney talks about it from the big picture of all assessments. We then talk about the power, you know, if you do have a reliable and valid assessment, what the power of unmasking is and how it can help you reveal and release the full potential of every employee. And by doing that, you create business profitability. So unmasking, that is the show notes for today's episode, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash unmasking. So that's a new term that I haven't actually used that often before, but I like the understanding of it. So it's helping people see their full potential, which is our whole goal when using assessments is to help people see their potential and move towards it. The other thing that we really talk about, and it's something that's very inspiring. So this is by no means a dry interview. It's actually captivating and exciting. And I was kind of tired. It was a Friday and I've got so many things going on as everyone does. This is around Christmas. And I was thinking, why do I do this podcast? <laughs> I love doing the podcast and I wanted to do it, but you know, I was just tired and I left this interview so inspired and excited. And so I'm hoping that that'll be the case for you. I believe it will be. But we talk about, and Rodney's languaging is lovely, understanding the greatest value exchange that can happen between people. And then the last kind of topic area is we're going to cover 
what the silent demand of talent is, you know, that it must be met. So you will know the answer to that statement that I started with today about employers not knowing what the silent demand of talent is, you know, so therefore not knowing how to retain people. So we go in great detail about that. Quickly, here's a little bit about Rodney. You know, he is the chief business officer, development officer at TTI Success Insights, which is my assessment provider and partner. I've worked with them since 2005. He focuses on growing and developing the TTI Success Insights business. And he's a strategic thinker and he helps helps the business reach their goals and objectives. He found TTI Success Insights uh, back when he was a regional manager for a major tool manufacturer. He he references that in our conversation. And he is the person, if you work with us, many of you are familiar with our internet delivery system where we have this back end. And a lot of our clients go and use that back end, you know, to capture assessments or to make wheel graphs or tent cards or, you know, create coaching reports, there's so much you can do with this platform that we have. Rodney was instrumental in that and creating that in 2001. So he's got a great mix of the people side, the business side, the technical side, and you know deep history with TTI Success Insights. He's also the founder of Ministry Insights, which is a faith-based extension of the TTI Success Insights. And I'm going to give you a link to that because he's written several books, Leading from Your Strengths, Different by Design, and The 210 Project. And all of that can be found at Ministry Insights. So that'll be on the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash unmasking. And then he talks a bit about his family and, and where he lives and his talent and things that he likes to do. So you'll hear about that too. So let's go to this conversation now. Again, the show notes are at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash unmasking. So Rodney, I'm so glad you're here. I want to start with asking you about this article that uh, I read about a book, The Personality Brokers, that talks about Myers-Briggs. And they talk about in it, this one of the sentences is that the Myers-Briggs, which is a tool I like, by the way, and I have used in the past, but that the test retest validity is below acceptable levels of statistical mm-hmm. significance. That is one of the sentences out of that article. And so I, I thought with you being the expert that you are from my best partner company, I'd love for you to guide us on what people should be looking for from their assessment partners around validity and reliability. So what are the signs? What should they be thinking about? What do they need to know? Yeah, Susie, well, listen, it's an honor to be with you today. And um, hopefully I can help you navigate that water in some of the simplest terms. So kind of, I like to break it down into three things. Kind of the first thing that you need to look for, for any assessment is what is the scientific evidence that supports the assessment? Does it have a scientific underpinning? Does it have, second thing is, does it have peer review articles? In other words, has other eyes been on it and have endorsed it and have done the study as well in order to make sure what you're saying, you know, isn't hyperbole? And the last thing that uh, I would say people need to look at is the claims inside of that assessment. If the assessment claims that it can solve all problems or it can see the whole individual using a single science, that probably ought to be a red flag because 
the temperamental makeup of an individual is multifaceted. It's not single faceted. And so there's not one assessment standalone that can see all those facets. So that would be another red flag for me. That's awesome. Okay. So they want to want to and any they should be able to any assessment that they're using, they should be able to go to if they're saying, OK, I want to check use this as my checklist. They should be able to go to their provider's website or whoever works with them and find all of this. Absolutely. A clear evidence of the science behind it, not just, you know, spin their science and that that science has been peer reviewed and that they don't claim that that assessment is the end all. Right. That it, it's, you know, that it can do it all. Great. Okay. So what questions, so they know what they want to look for. So say they're talking to, and there's so many different tools out there, they're talking to someone that could be like me, a consultant. What questions would they need to ask in addition to looking for those three things? What are the questions they need to ask? Yeah. So we've already kind of stated that in that first sign that we're looking for, and that is what's the science or sciences behind the assessment, right? And are they credible sciences? And so I would always encourage your listener to look for the science. And then if the science is there, then they're going to have the organization or the assessment will have validity and reliability studies. And so let's just talk just a second about validity versus reliability, right? I have a constructively valid assessment. It measures what it says it will measure. But does it do that reliably again and again and again? And so you need both sides of that coin, not just one side of that coin. Right. So when you're looking for assessments, so science there, is it valid science, and then is it reliable science? And it's interesting, that article, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, one of the big things that they were saying about the Myers-Briggs, again, a tool that I don't want to diss because I have used it, but one of the things they said is it's not reliable. That was kind of the quote, you know, so that's the big piece on that. So if you measure it again and again, do you get the same result or get reliable results, right? Right. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So then another thing that's really, really important is, is I could have a valid, reliable assessment and then be applying it incorrectly. In other words, so let's say that you're an organization that is multilingual. You operate in multiple countries. So is the assessment in which you're deploying, is it not only valid and reliable, but are those validity studies and reliability studies done in each translated language? And that's critically important because, you know, what it takes, let's say, to be an aggressive problem solver or a high D in our vernacular in this country is very different than in Spain or very different than in Europe or whatever culture that we might be in. So how do you get to the same valid and reliable reporting mechanism, but do that in the country or the language in which it's, it's going to be deployed? Critically important. And then if you are deploying in different languages, not only that validity and reliability, but it needs to be normed as well, right? Normed based on the culture. So not only do we have to make sure we're getting to the right thing, but then the statements in which we say or the analytics that we report back 
that needs to be normed. It needs to be shaped so that it, it's meaningful to that culture, okay. just not where the assessment originated. So when you so. say normed, I always think of, you know, the 68% of the population bell curve. How would, would you describe a little bit more of it when you say normed? Uh, I think you might have defined it by saying shaped to be meaningful for that culture. Does that um, cover that? Or is there, in case somebody's wondering, what does he exactly mean by normed? Yeah, yeah. So it's exactly that. It's making sure that whatever you're reporting back resonates with the norm, resonates with the majority of the people, right? Got it. And that it accurately describes them and it feels like that it accurately portrays their strength sets and and things of that nature. Because how we portray, let's say, information gathering or rule following in the States can be very different in a different culture. And so how we say that has to resonate with the end user in order to be applied in a meaningful way. So then the last thing I would look for, in my opinion, is is that, you know, is there scientific evidence that the assessment is not discriminatory? So it cannot discriminate against any class. And so most all organizations today are, it would, it would probably be their number one thing on their list is to make sure if I'm applying this assessment, it does not discriminate in any way. Perfect. Okay, great questions. So what difference does it make to have something that is valid and reliable? What are you going to get from an assessment as opposed to what they're talking about with Myers-Briggs, which is they say the results are different every time? What's, what's the difference it makes? Yeah, well, if I get a different resultant every time I take an assessment and or I deploy an assessment, then what confidence do I have in it actually revealing, right, the true talent of the individual in which I'm either screening or I'm actually trying to release in the organization? So I like to use three R's, right? When I teach or I train around this type of material or these types of questions. And if your listeners will take a moment to take a note, the first one is reveal, the second one is release, and the third R is, is realize. And so if you would be willing to role play with me just a little bit, Susie, I think we might be able to just not be talking heads, right, but actually kind of role play and let our users understand how this might play itself out from a reliability perspective. Are you game? I am game. I'm all ready. And by the way, all of this will be in the show notes. So if somebody's driving or walking their dog right now, no worries. We'll, we will have show notes and you'll be able to go pull all this up as well as a transcript. Okay, let's role play. Yeah, yeah. If they were driving, definitely don't take any notes. Yeah, right? please don't take any notes. <laughs> the evidence is here that we encouraged you to do that. No, we did not encourage you. To do that. <laughs> okay, so how important do you think it is to have a reliable way to reveal the true potential of an individual before you hire them? Oh, you, you have to have that. It's a simple question, yeah. right? But it's like we really never ask that question. Yeah. How important is it to have a reliable way to reveal the potential of an individual before we hire them. Yep. It's priceless, yes. no pun intended. Yes, it is priceless, I would say it is. And yeah, so it's, and my thought always is, you know, that's why we have interviews, that's why we check background. And then to me, it's the reason I got into using assessments is I wanted to be able to look under the covers and, and give additional insight to employers and interviewers so that they could see you know, whether they fit or don't fit. So definitely, yes, you definitely want to know their potential and where they match and don't match. Yes. 
And I love to talk about masking and unmasking, right? Well, good, valid assessments are about the business of unmasking, right? Uh So we actually understand the true potential of the individual. So think about it this way. If you're applying for a job inside of my organization and I give you the job description, I give you my core values, you've done your research on my website, and I'm sitting across from you, every question I ask of you, you're going to mask and tell me what I need to hear in order to hire you. I want a job. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so how do I unmask that? Because if I hire you and I place you based on lies, for lack of a better word, based on mask and not the true you, that's not good for you and it's not good for me. Right. It's not good for either of us, but yet... That's the way we see a lot of selection system, but it's mask-based. It's not evidence-based. I love the word unmasking. I've not really thought of that in regard to the tools, but it it really, it does two things. It's unmasking for the interviewer so they can actually see, like the word you're using, reveal the true potential of this candidate. And also for the interviewer, what I also see with assessments is it helps the interviewer not fall in the trap of bias. Because that's Absolutely. one of the biggest interview mistakes. It's like, oh, you went to my college, and oh, you speak and talk like me, and oh, we seem to be interested in the same things, and it's probably an awesome person, but are they going to be an awesome person in the role you know, that you're trying to hire for? Do they really need you, the interviewer, in that role? You know, so that's the other piece. It's en masse in that way, too, uh, or removed bias. That's awesome. Okay. So we want to refill keyword, that true potential, right, not mass potential, And then a good assessment that's reliable and valid isn't only good for revealing, but it has to also be good in the business of releasing, right? Because once we hire somebody, we not only need to invite them into the organization, put them into the right job, but we need to release them, right? To release their full talent set so that the organization can reach its full potential. And it's as we do that successfully, We reveal the talent that we need. We then place it in the right place. We then release that talent to flourish. And we do that consistently over time. We have an organization that thrives, not just tries to survive. We have an organization that actually does start seeing its true potential, where people enjoy working there. It's got a culture. There's nothing that will release the potential of a human being than feeling like they fit. Nothing. Yes. There's no greater release potential than a fit and just letting me release the things in which are naturally within me in the role in which you placed me in. I think realize is obvious, right? (laughs) So if we do that successfully, we reveal, we release, then we will realize a return on investment, right? We have to be profitable and we eat more money in organizational development every year in the people side of the business than any other place, whether it be through turnover, whether it be inefficiency, whether it be low performance because we don't have them placed in the right seat of the bus or whatever the case is. So we think you have to have all three of those in order to be successful. Take the mask off. That's a win-win. Then release that individual in the organization to contribute their talents and their strengths and their abilities you will realize a return on your investment. Wonderful. That's great. I love the three R's. And that is exactly what we want to do. We want them to realize the organization to grow and the individuals have to grow within it. And you know, if you roll it up the other way and they have to be a fit. 
So perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. So let's talk more about you, Rodney, and your career. You have a very interesting career. So I want to hear more about you and your life. So let's talk about who's influenced you the most and what they did or said or shared that was really helpful to you. Yeah, well, in the context of this conversation, I'd be remiss, you know, not to cry back to 1989. In 1989, I was a regional manager for Snap-on Tools Corporation. And um, I found myself in my marriage in a very difficult place. I had a Sunday school teacher. Beth and I were part of a young marriage class. And there was a couple leading that, Bruce and Carol Mazaray. And Bruce Mazaray and I had built a relationship. And he said, hey, brothers, like, sure seems like you and Elizabeth might need a little bit of help. And, uh, (laughs) you know, help in air quotes, right? And uh, (laughs) So um, through that encounter, it was the first time I was ever exposed to a reliable and a valid assessment. And he took Elizabeth and I through it. And after an hour and a half with he and his wife and assessments, objective data on a, you know, around a kitchen table, it it transformed everything in my world. I'm going to try not to get emotional, but it transformed my marriage. It transformed my life. It transformed my relationship with my children, and it has become my life work because of that encounter. And so I'd say the second most influential individual then is Bill Bonstetter. In 1990, he invited me to be a VAA, a value-added associate, which is uh, what you, you are, and we have journeyed together for many years. And Bill is the founder of TTI Success Insights, and I became a student of human behavior. He invited me to do that in 1990, and for the last 30 years have been really in the space of trying to help reveal human potential and release that to flourish at its highest level. You know, my heart is I want to see people thrive, but the reality is most individuals just try and survive, you know, daily in the job in which they're in or in the marriage they're in or and I, I just don't think that's God's best. And there's, there's a way out, which you just don't know the way out. So then I'd say probably the third most influential individual entered my life in 2005. The man's name is Don Blanton. He runs a company called Money Tracks or owns a company called Money Tracks. And I would say he's a type of guy that sticks closer than a brother. And I think he's taught me what it looks like to unconditionally accept and love people. And so I would say those. If you're hearing a resounding ding, you know, it's in the relational space, right? It's that relational capital, the power of relational capital. And all of these men have had that impact in my life. And uh, so, so I appreciate you asking that question. Um, yeah, appreciate uh, you sharing. Opportunity to honor them. As you know, Bill Bonstetter is the late Bill Bonstetter. We lost him three years ago. What an amazing man as it relates to understanding human potential in releasing it. I don't know anyone better than him. Yep. He's, we're standing on his shoulders, a bunch of us. <laughs> Absolutely. And now his son's shoulders, right? So yes. Dave's at yeah. the helm of the business and doing just a great job. And we'll take the business, you know, in the sciences to a totally different level. And that's exciting. Yes. Yes. And I love that you've had, uh, mentors and uh, go-givers in your life like this and how they sounds, sounds like they showed up at the right time every time. <laughs> and uh, thankfully I had ears to hear uh, and a heart to receive them, right? Uh, right. So, right. I'm thankful yeah. for that. 
That mm-hmm. is wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, talk about the people who have influenced you and the relational piece. What some things around books or education or training that have been very instrumental to your growth and development? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, over the years, obviously, all the different sciences that make up the facet of a human being in kind of diving into that deeply to understand those sciences and then, you know, being in that trench of organizational development and actually being part of that release process, I think, has uh, given me keen insights that I can then share and even, you know, help modify the sciences that we deploy. Uh, I'd like to talk about one of the sciences we deploy. It's called Talent Insights, and um, it's based on two different sciences. And those sciences are not only how we go about doing things, but why we go about doing things, right? And so for the listener, I know they don't understand necessarily what these sciences are. So I just want to try and do a quick understanding of just a couple, just two of the scales of the 10 scales we measure with this particular tool. The first scale is called knowledge, right? And there's two strengths connected with that scale. And I want you to think about the word I use because I use very purposeful words, right? There's two strengths connected with that continuum. And what happens in a lot of different assessments is, is that you find yourself only dealing with one side of a strength and you never actually look at the other side of that strength. And in most instances, we call the other side of that strength a weakness. But what if it wasn't? (laughs) What if it was just a different strength? And when applied at the appropriate time, it gives us the ability to see more holistically the individual in which we deal with. So one side of that knowledge base that we measure in that science deals with the intellectual strength. And that intellectual strength are people who are driven by the opportunity to learn. They acquire knowledge and they discover the truth. So they're always about the business of learning. The other end of that spectrum is instinctive. Now, just those two words alone, Susie, I know you can't see any potential conflict in (laughs) The intellect versus the instinctive when it comes to knowledge. You know, instinctive are people who are driven more by utilizing their past experiences, right? Their intuition. And, you know, they only seek knowledge when it's necessary. And so those two differences, there's so much judgment that's in between those two. But I want you to think about there are jobs inside of every organization that require one or the other. And if you actually place the wrong one in that position, it would create inefficiency or disruption instead of efficiency and a return. Mm, And so, so now when you, you apply that to me personally, I'm instinctive. And so, but you can't just look at that alone. You have to look at the other science with it. And so one of the other sciences that we deal with is how I go about doing things. And that scale measures in this second science, one scale is how I problem solve. And there are two types of problem solvers. One's an aggressive problem solver or what we call the firefighter. The other's a reflective problem solver or what we call the complex solver. So once again, two strengths, right? Right. Both applied at the appropriate time create ineffectiveness. Applied at the wrong time or in the wrong places, it creates inefficiency. So now when those two things work together, when I face a problem or a challenge in the organization, I'll tend to take charge, I'll tend to drive decision making, and I'll utilize my past experiences, intuition to do that. 
unless I need to seek the specific or necessary knowledge in order to make the decision. So now you're starting to see unmasking me and now getting to the heart of how I would go about problem solving in your organization. And you can't look at it through one lens. You have to look at it through multiple sciences. You have to have a holistic view of the individual. And we're only speaking two, right? Two continuums out of 20 we measure in that science. So if you want to win the war for talent, I don't know how you win the war for talent without reliable, valid assessments that unmask the talent and once again, give you the ability to release it. So for me, my education has been, you know, in my rigor has been once again in that, in that space, in those three R's. And I hope just that little snippet can help the listener understand the power of that unmasking in those three R's. Right. It's interesting. I think all of us, almost every consultant that I know within the tools that we use have stories uh, where if you were to ask me that question, you know, what education or books have helped you the most in your life? It'd be like, Oh, the tools that I work with, (laughs) you know, individually we've, you know, it's like we've gotten so much from it. And, you know, personally I have gotten so much from it and it's, you know, uh, I have a similar story in regard to my marriage, in regard right. to, you know, just relationships and patience with my parents and just it's made me a better person. <laughs> so I'm just right. nodding as you're talking and loving what you're sharing. So it's powerful, powerful, yeah. powerful. Awesome. awesome. Well, you know, when when we can be authentic and we actually, you know, feel cared for and that somebody does is concerned about, you know, us thriving and being at our full potential you know, that, that unites people together, that unites bosses to their, to their colleague. I mean, uh, um, you know, leader to leader, it unites leader to subordinate, it unites team member to team member. There's nothing that will energize people more than pursuing a common outcome. And the pursuit of that common outcome, if we're not careful, we get focused on our differences, right? Your approach versus my approach versus, well, well, those two things together when seen and applied and respected and valued actually give us the ability to do something together at a much higher level that neither one of us could do independently on our own. Right. And so it's that exchange of value that's so important in the release aspect that, you know, through team building or through management coaching, whatever it is in that release mechanism that gives us the ability to truly create performance. And I think I love the languaging that you use because the unmasking, what I see is so often we just need to put language to the differences. Right. Um, So, oh, so I'm more reflective and you're more aggressive when there's a problem or Mm -hmm. you're more instinctive and I'm more intellectual or whatever. And then it's like from there, it's like, ah, immediately, just even with that insight, you move from judgment to some understanding, you know, and over time, if continually reinforced by leadership, you move from understanding to appreciation and, and uh, valuing. And so then it's like everybody can be themselves and have just a stronger releasing of talent, basically. So that unmasking is so wonderful because the languaging helps us putting verbiage to the things we internally know. Most people will read their assessment and not completely say they know everything in it, that nothing is a surprise, because oftentimes there are some surprises, but oftentimes we read it and they say, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I've kind of known that about myself. <laughs> but we don't have the words to explain it you know, to our spouse or our coworkers or to our boss. 
Uh, if you think about it, it's the greatest value exchange that could ever happen, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. It, 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 we, we, <laughs> I have to be careful here, but it's kind of like we really are in the belief-changing business, and so is everyone that's listening to this call. Because if we can exchange the value between an individual that looks at something as a detriment, right? I see what's in you and I think that it's a detriment. And now through language and understanding, I can see value in that. And I can embrace that value and I can invite you into my weakness. In other words, if I'm an aggressive problem solver, I can't solve every problem aggressively. <laughs> I mean, I can, but I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot yeah. of problems. I see a few blind spots sometimes around that. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot right. of problems that I encounter that I should be humble enough to hand over to you because you thrive in the complex problem solving. And so what would it look like if we actually exchanged that value? I invited right. you into the things I don't have. And you invited me into the things you don't have. And now collectively, we have the ability to execute at a level. Once again, neither one of us have the ability to execute at. That's really what team is about. That's what organizational performance is about. (laughs) And to the extent we can create that value exchange is to the extent that we have strong teams. We have high-performing teams, and we have a high-performing organization. People are the lifeblood of the organization. People are first always. And if we're not careful, we put them in the back seat instead of, you know, seeing them as our greatest asset. Yeah, a lot of language goes to people are our greatest asset, but the only way that that is real in an organization is day to day. How are people treated? Are there these kinds of conversations, honest and straightforward conversations around, okay, I'm going to take this part because it's one of my strengths. And why don't you take that part because that's one of your strengths. You know, so, you know, the only way you can have those kind of honest conversations is to have a language to express that. Absolutely. I love that. Greatest value exchange that can happen is what you said. And that is powerful. Everybody wants to be seen and valued. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if I don't feel valued, I'll become isolated. I'll withdraw. I'll stop contributing. It's only when I feel valued and appreciated and released, I will contribute at the highest level. Mm, Yes. So when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? (laughs) So it's not a person for me. And it's right up. It's just exactly in the space we're talking about. I think think it's anyone that leaps out of bed every day, eager to contribute or give away what they've got, right? Give away their natural strengths and talents to the person who writes their check. (laughs) Yes. For me, that is the most admirable person. That's the person I want to spend time with. I leap out of bed every day. I know what my purpose is. I'm giving it away freely and liberally. And my employer writes me a check for that. And it's a win-win relationship. I think that is the most beautiful place an individual can ever be from the employee perspective and the employer's perspective. I believe that there is a silent demand in the workforce today. And very, very few employers know what that silent demand is. And because they don't know what the silent demand is, they still can't understand the reason why they're not retaining the people in which they're hiring. I think the silent demand is, is that very few organizations understand the passion and the raw talent that an individual has to contribute. And unless you know, unless you take the time to know me in the interview process, 
in other words, unmask me and know me at a level that says, I understand your talents, I understand your passion, I understand the unique contribution that you can make to this organization, then the individual, you know, it's, it's just a job. There's no real contribution, right? And if you get to know me, then my confidence level rises that you'll actually match me to the right job, that you'll actually put me in the right place where I can flourish. And if you do that, right, then I'm not just here getting a paycheck. I'm actually here making a difference. I'm actually here contributing at the highest level. And the exchange is my talents for a paycheck. And you're always looking out for my best interest. And you know what? If you look out for my best interest, I'll look out for your best interest. So I think that's the silent demand that will win the war for talent, for lack of a better a better term, that you'll be able to recruit at a better level, you'll be able to re- release at a higher level, and you'll be able to realize at a higher level. But you have to know me, you then have to match me, and then you have to release me. You have to catalyze me. And uh, I, don't, I just don't want a paycheck. I want to be making a meaningful difference in the organization. I want to be contributing. Yes, that is so well said and so inspiring. Feels awesome. And when I think about um, this knowledge in uh, success in organizations and success, you know, in my life, what I love about the knowledge of these tools and these sciences is how much I enjoy people now. And I'm right. thinking of that as a leader, and I've seen that in other leaders, and I've actually had CEOs say, you know, they used to kind of drive me crazy, <laughs> but now I just get it. That's how they're wired. And so now I'm I'm doing a better job of saying, hey, would you take this part, you know, as opposed to being annoyed. Now they're understanding, you know, and, and what we talked about earlier. But for me personally, I just know, like, how full my heart is with people so much more now because I can understand their strengths through this lens and um, you know, their power and their joy. And that's what you're talking about is having leaders to look at their people and say, Oh, I love that you're this way. Let's make sure you fit here. And and the gift that that brings to everybody. It's wonderful. Absolutely. You're looking out for my best interest. Therefore I'm looking out for your best interest. It's not reciprocity. It's not in that space. It's really, uh, you know, and you use the word understanding, you know, it's that leader that now understands how to apply those differences. And that's, that's the value exchange we're talking about. That's that change of, of mindset that we're talking about that makes great leaders lead and, uh, you know, great teams and, and great employers. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. There's uh, some research through, I believe Gallup where it says, you know, leaders who lead by strengths. So look at their team and say, your strengths are here. Let's make sure you're doing this or that. You are 86% more successful. Absolutely. The high percentage, you know, but yep. you know, how many leaders are actually doing that? We, we would want more and more. And that's my mission in life. You're speaking my language <laughs> when you're oh. talking about waking up eager and leaping out of bed. It's like, Oh yeah, that's what we're all about. That's awesome. Yep. Well, your tool sets and I know that of your business, I've been doing a, uh, you know, journeying with you for a long time. I've seen, there's a lot of fruit that comes out out of that and um, yeah, great testimonies around that. So well, thank you. It is what I care about the most, you know, and actually I almost get emotional just thinking about it. And it's from, you know, my family circumstance and decisions I made at some point that said, okay, I'm going to do it differently. And right. I'm going to be that person who, you know, finds their path and then I want to help other people. So it's exciting. Speaking of waking up eager, mm-hmm. um, 
Uh, what are the things that you do regularly? I have these tips that I do every week about mind, body, spirit. Yep. Uh, what are some things that you would share that help you have more wake up eager days? Yes, we need to be a match and maybe those are your tips, but what else and what can you share? Yeah, for me, I think it goes back to the framework in which I hope your listeners have heard loud and clear kind of on our call together, right? It's in my framework, uh, in my mental clarity, I think, and comes from the place where I understand myself, right? I understand my strengths. I understand my weaknesses. I'm a student of myself, right? Mm. I understand my convictions. And those are anchors for me, right? And they guide all of my decision-making. They guide the things I get involved with, whether that be, you know, from a volunteer perspective or the things in which I seek to work on because they're going to give me life and give other people's life. It controls everything in my life. And that's what makes me eager, you know, because I know I'm not waking up tomorrow trying to figure out what tomorrow holds, right? I'm not waking up. I didn't wake up today and go, wow, I wonder what I'm going to do to contribute today. I know what that is. And it gives me great energy in the things in which are my weaknesses. I invite people into those and it's in that space. Once again, that I get, I feel like I have good mental clarity in that space. And I think you use three terms, uh, mind, body, and spirit, right? Right. And um, I like those terms. And from a body person, I love mountain biking. So we're a mountain biking family. And so um, from a physical perspective, we live in the desert here, the Sonoran desert here in Phoenix, it's the only living desert, you know, it's just absolutely stunning. Most people would never get in the spring. We have, you know, just valleys of flowers and beauty and blooms in the desert. Right. And so just getting on my mountain bike and, you know, going for a 15, 18 mile, you know, two or three hour ride and just experiencing creation is probably that's clearing my mind. It's uh, feeding my spirit but it's also helping my body for lack of a better spot. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. I want to go mountain biking in the <laughs> desert. That sounds awesome. Not in the summer, but right. definitely in the <laughs> well, winter. Yeah, that's we'll have beautiful. to see about that, right? Yes. Oh. <laughs> a little excursion. Yes. A little excursion, right? That's good. So then spiritually, I would say Elizabeth and I, my bride of 36 years, which is just a beautiful thing two amazing daughters. I, I would say spiritually that uh, Beth and I have very close couples that we do life with and each of us have two or three tight friends. Several I've mentioned earlier in this interview, but then I think it's those people that help anchor us as well, right? They, they're willing to speak the truth and love to us. They're willing to, you know, the more transparent we are with them and the more authentic that we are with them and them with us. We build our relational capital. And if, if you've not heard loud and clear in this interview, for those people that are leaders uh, that are listening to this, there's no greater capital I think this world has to offer than relational capital. As a leader, if you don't have relationships with the people in which you're leading, you're just a transactional leader. Relationship is important. And um, the way relationship is built is on me caring for you and you caring for me. And at the same time, caring for the mission in which we've been called to that gets our paycheck every week. And um, relational capital is, is, I think, the most important capital that you can have. Mm, yes. 
if somebody sees themselves right now, and, and I know this happens, and I talk to people where this is happening, um, they're just so super busy, and they're very caught up in their careers, and they're not all, it's never, you know, one or the other, but they might be leaning a little towards a transactional and have lost some of their, you know, connections with others. What would you say to somebody who's dealing with that? I think that happens. People get busy. It's not uh, intentional. You're covered up. You've got goals. You've got family. Everybody's running in different directions. We have a world that's super busy. What is something that you would say to somebody who says, "Eh, I kind of want, I love what he's saying and I want to be and do more of that. What are some of the first steps? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's awesome. I think when we realize that we're isolated and transactional, you know, especially in leadership, busy and, you know, we're transacting with our employees, you know, we're not taking the time to build that relationship. I think humility is a real big key, right? Mm. I think a leader that is willing to go to an employee that know that, that they know they're isolated from and they're probably not communicating at the level that they do and so on and so forth, to just go to that individual and humble themselves. Say, hey, like, you know, I feel like X, Y, or Z. I don't know if you're feeling the same thing. I don't think that's the best for us. I don't think it helps us get where we want to go. You know, what can we do to work together in order to have a higher level of communication, plan together more strategically, those kinds of things. So for me, it's a humility and a lean in, right? Versus Mm. lean out or to continue to allow the isolation to happen. Because we weren't designed for isolation. It's not in our DNA. We're designed to journey with others and uh, especially in organizations. We have to, that's where organizational performance comes from. We are pursuing something commonly together. And uh, when I feel like you're pursuing X and then you're using me as just a lever to get your Y, that's transactional. That's a tough place to be as a leader. So that would be my coaching to the leader. Lean in, humble yourself you know, go have a conversation and do something different tomorrow than you did today. Great coaching. Love it. Okay. So we're going to do a uh, last three questions. Okay. This is a fun, get to know you question. So what is your favorite possession? Oh, okay. My favorite possession uh, is my faith in my family, I would say. So I think those things I, I hold very, very dearly and would be my favorite possession. So. Okay. And how about a funny story that your family tells you? Okay. Tells about you. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. So I mentioned that we're mountain bikers, right? Yes. So my youngest daughter actually is a world-class mountain biker. She was on the USA cycling team, completed in Glasgow, Scotland in the World Cup. So she's a mountain bike animal, right? You don't wow. want to yes. hurt you, right? She's like, so she tells the story <laughs> always. Like she's always going dead under the bus, right? When we yeah. talk about our mountain biking experiences and fun and so on and so forth, she loves to throw me under the bus. She says, anytime dad says, watch this, air quotes, right? Watch this. You probably ought to get your video camera out and start recording because it could get you 10K on ADF. Right? <laughs> America's home. So something's going to happen, huh? That's right. And so I've had stitches in both knees multiple times, concussion. I mean, like, if that, I'm not bleeding coming out of the desert when I'm riding with her, like, and so that's what she, she throws. Uh, she, my little Amy Christina, she's amazing. So, yes. 
wow, that's amazing that she's world class. And I love that you give her footage for her social media numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's a stay-at-home mom now with two beautiful babies. And she doesn't do a whole lot of mountain biking anymore, you know, but uh, in her day. And so, Dad, you know, I'm not competitive, by the way. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was just going to say, I think there's a little, uh, hey, you're going to go over that mountain. I can do yeah. it. I know I can. Sure. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. Right. Watch yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Watch this. Yeah. Which you said, I love that in air quotes. Watch this. Okay. Hold on. Let me get my phone out because dad's about to give me some. <laughs> oh, funny. that is great. What a nice bonding experience for you and her too earlier on, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. that's great. So what advice would you give your 25 year old self? Oh, man. First, seek to understand yourself before you try and get others to understand you. I think that'd probably be my number one. And uh, I don't know if you need any clarity on that. But then I think, uh, you know, conflict is inevitable in life. We cannot avoid conflict, especially inside of organizations. We agree or disagree on certain strategies and so on and so forth. Conflict's inevitable. And I would tell myself to lean into conflict instead of leaning out of conflict. Don't run from it, lean into it, because there's always something to be learned in it. And then probably I would say esteem others higher than yourself always. And so those would be the things, if I could start over at 25 years, I think would, uh, sorry, I'm getting emotional, would, um, would probably have uh, cost me a few less lessons along the way, if you know what I mean. So Yeah, yeah. Is there one that brought the emotion out the most? Yeah, I think esteeming others higher than yourself. I I was raised in a family where my father always told me I'd never be anything, right? Mm. And that's not esteeming someone higher than yourself. And so early in my career, I chased lots of things I shouldn't be chasing. And I always wanted to be seen as the best and higher than anyone else. And once again, through that transformational experience around that table with Bruce and Carol Mazare, I think I learned that lesson in spades. And um, that would be one I would drive a stake in the ground. Mm. Uh, So even leaders that are listening to this podcast, I would encourage you today not to think about the places where you can step up and lead, but think about the places where you can step down and serve. And so that's in that same space, right? When you step down at the same level, the people you're leading and you help them accomplish things that they're struggling with and so on and so forth, and you esteem them and you always lift them higher than yourself, then you as a leader will always rise with the tide. And so that would be my, my coaching. Wonderful. So much wisdom and kindness and heart and practicality and everything that you're sharing, Rodney. It's just wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity. And so, yeah, it's been great having this discussion with you. You've helped in so many ways and uh, it's been very inspiring With that, I want to ask our last question, which is the last bit of advice or wisdom you want people to take away from our discussion. And you could say several things, and maybe one of those things could be about assessment validity and reliability. But what's your wisdom or advice you want to make sure you leave folks with in regard to what we started with today and then anything else you want to share? Uh, Yeah, well, uh, let me first say, Susie, how incredible appreciative I am for the opportunity to be interviewed and to share some of my thoughts and beliefs about reliability and validity, some of my life experience about that, and how that has not only bled into my personal life, but into obviously my career. 
And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for Priceless as a strategic partner. You guys do amazing things. And so we're really, really grateful that, that we're part of your team and you're part of our team. So I, I want to thank you for that. And and so I would say from a reliability and a validity perspective uh, that it will be very, very difficult for you to even participate in the war for talent without good, reliable, valid assessments. And I don't think you're even participating in the war for talent if you don't have reliable and valid assessments that you're deploying to reveal release, and then realize the human potential in place for you, and you have the opportunity to invite your organization. And I would say the second thing would be that I think that you should become a student and master any assessment or any measurement that you're going to use inside of your organization to help people thrive. If you if you're not a master of it, or if you don't have someone like Priceless to come alongside you and, and help you master that, you'll only realize a small potential, right? A small, I don't even know even how to say it, but just a remnant of the potential of the power of assessments inside of your organization and what they do, not as a weapon or not as a lever or, but as a window, right? Into, you know, how we work more efficiently and effectively together in order for our organizations to thrive at their highest levels. And so I think that's how you start to participate in the war. You start winning the war and organizations become more profitable and more sustainable, you know, with good, reliable, valid assessment deployment. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. I loved when he talked about leaping out of bed every day, that that's the most beautiful thing an employer, an employee can have in their life. And it is so true. And it is all about why I do what I do and what I care about the most. So I love that he made that reference and I love the image of that. It's, you know, maybe you're not a leaper, you know, maybe you're, you're not the type of person that's going to be as demonstrative as that. But what we want is for you to get up, put your feet on the ground, every employee, every employer and know where you're going and want to be doing what you do. So I promised you that we would talk about the silent demand and what it is. And I hope you heard all of that today. I'm going to paraphrase some of the things that he said, but we talked to, he said, I believe there's a silent demand. And when employers don't know what it is, they don't know why they're not keeping the people that they're hiring. And in his paraphrasing his words, the silent demand, and I'm just going to restate it here, is understanding the passion and raw talent that an individual has to contribute. And that you can do that at the start by, in the interview process, helping unmask someone and begin to know them at a level that says, you know, I understand your talents, your passion, the unique contribution you could make to an organization. And by understanding that, I'm going to build your confidence or an employee's confidence, and you're going to be able to match someone to the right job, put them in the right place so they can flourish and contribute at their highest levels. So bottom line, the silent demand is to know employees, to match employees, and then release and catalyze them. They're all what we intend to do. We know we have it within us and an interest to do this, but now how do we do it? And I believe that um, 
the assessment tool. That's why I've, I've moved towards becoming an expert in that tool and move towards helping others become an expert because I see it as such a great resource to help us do that. Get to know someone, unmask them in a wonderful way, match them, and then release them, catalyze them, help them be all that they want to be. So if we want to win the war for talent, we've got to have good and reliable assessments. We've got to be able to then use them for what they're intended to, which is unmask their talent and give them the means to use their talent. And if you notice the, the word authentic with Rodney was shared often and feeling valued was shared often. One of the things we talked about is, you know, leaning in and having conversations with employees, it not being transactional and, and making sure if we are feeling any isolation, uh, which can happen to all of us, we get super busy, but to lean into people, have the conversations. He used humility quite often and talk about that. And I love the idea and his languaging around invite someone into your weakness. I do that all the time. I've never languaged it that way, but it's like, I laugh about, I mean, I don't make excuses for my, my weakness or my development opportunities. I make sure I manage them. And so the places where I need to manage and I'm an entrepreneur, so there's, and I don't have a huge staff, so I've got to do that. But I also can invite someone into what might be my weakness or development opportunity or not my greatest strength or something I don't even like to do. Um, so inviting someone in to help us, you know, the most encouraging or engaging word sometimes you can use with someone is, Hey, I need your help. So I'm hoping that uh, you caught that. And that if you are using our tools already, that you will look at them through this lens. I loved his sharing about esteeming others higher than yourself. And it's not about where you can look in it so much as where you can lead, but stepping down to serve or stepping side by side to serve, to lift others higher than yourself. That is a joy. And what I love with Trimetrics is you can actually see that on the under the hood part of the assessment. Go If you've taken Trimetrics, go look at your dimensional balance page graph and look at where your understanding other score is and where your sense of self is. And it can really help you see how clearly you're valuing yourself and how clearly you're valuing others. And sometimes when those are out of balance, we either don't lift ourselves up enough to feel good and value who we are as a human, or maybe we're lifting ourselves above others, which is something that he, he learned and talked about early on when he first learned about himself earlier in his career as, as, you know, it's a pure desire to want to achieve and be the best. And those are all great things, but I love that that meant so much to him. So encourage that and constantly looking at that, finding that balance. And last, very simple wisdom is if things aren't going the way you want in regard to relational presence or relational discussions and interactions with your employees, do something different than you did yesterday. And he gave great suggestions on that. Show notes are at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash unmasking, U-N-M-A-S-K-I-N-G, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash unmasking. Masking. There you will see links to Rodney's LinkedIn account as well as to the Ministry Insights page where his books are. So you can check that out, connect with him. Again, if this episode inspires you or you, you have ideas or suggestions, 
I love and would cherish your feedback. Pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E. There's all my information there. And if you are interested in becoming an expert in our assessment tools, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash certification. Also, I just kind of want to mention, I just thought about this at the pricelessprofessional.com unmasking. I have links to all of the trimetrics, uh, validity, security, uh, all of our tools or our research answering the questions that Rodney proposed in regard to things you should be asking. So I have an interview. The next podcast will be episode number 65, and it's going to be about deep listening. It's from a gentleman out of Australia. So my my discussion with him will be 9 p.m. my time, actually tomorrow. So you'll be on the lookout for that. It's episode number 65, and it'll be deep listening. So I can't wait to share that with you. Thank you for being a listener and a colleague and hopefully a friend and many blessings. If I can help you in any way, please reach out. Until we talk again, take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 